0: What we have uh, this year that is unique for any other year is this coming Tuesday, this marks the 500-year anniversary of when an Augustinian monk named Martin Luther bravely, boldly, and probably with great fear and trembling posted his 95 thesis on the Wittenberg Castle Church door, and he had no idea what, it, what changes that would unleash would unleash in world history. He changed history, he changed church as we know it, and we're gonna talk about that today and we're gonna celebrate the life of Martin Luther. Will you pray with me? Heavenly Father, Lord, we are so grateful to be in a church where we lift up the primacy of scripture, where your word is boss, your word is the maximum authority. And when any other opinion of man When any other council uh, of a church, when any other creed comes along that tries to define our faith, Lord, we have been taught by great church leaders such as Martin Luther to always test all things. And when we test all things, we always hold them up against the clear teachings of Scripture, against the teachings of your word, the Bible. So we thank you for your word. We know that it's good for us. It is useful for teaching and rebuking and correcting and training us in righteousness. And Lord, we pray that your Holy Spirit would take that word today, would uh, challenge us, would inspire us, would encourage us wherever we need it. And we pray, Lord, that we would be ever more loyal followers of Christ as a result of being here today. Lord, use your word through your Spirit to enlighten us, in Jesus' name, amen. 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 Well, I told you that this marks the 500-year anniversary of the life of Martin Luther and the Great Reformation. Uh, In early October, a new biography came out on the life of Martin Luther. It's written by a Christian author named Eric Metaxas. He has other biographies of great Christian leaders, Diedrich Bonhoeffer and William Wilberforce the man who in British Parliament helped end slavery in the British Empire, even before we ended our slavery in America. In fact, he inspired men like Abraham Lincoln. Martin Luther, great biography. It says, the man who rediscovered God and changed the world. I highly recommend this book to you. I found out that another person, Jerry, has already ordered it in our congregation. He's waiting to pick that up and start reading it. It's a tremendous read and a great book about a Christian hero Uh, of our uh, heritage and our Christian history. Well, I want to tell you something about Martin Luther, tell you a little bit about his story and what makes him so famous and what were the changes that make church the way that church is today and how different it was 500 years ago when there was a monolithic Catholic church. You see, in Europe at the beginning of the 16th century, the Western church was the Roman Catholic church. It had split off from the Eastern church which became the Greek Orthodox Church. And for 400 years now, the Western Roman Church ruled uh, uh, Europe at that time. Rome was its center, of course. They had the Pope, which they saw as the living representative of Christ in his day. They call him the Vicar of Christ. He had the keys to the kingdom of heaven, etc., etc. Whatever the Pope said goes. Whatever the Pope said, that was law. And that was the reality at the time. Western Christendom was monolithic. There was no variety. Um, There was was zero dissent allowed. And that was 500 years ago. The power of the church and the state, the state being the holy Roman emperor, the church and the state were fused together. And so if you went against the church of Rome, if you had problems with the church, you also had problems against the state. And in Luther's time, of course, they they were together. By the year 1500, the Roman church had become corrupt. It was filled with abuses. It was filled with errors. And uh, a lot of people recognized those errors, but how many of them were willing to stand up to the power, to the monolith that was the Roman church in the year 1500? Well, along came a stubborn German man named Martin Luther. He had a sanctified, stubborn streak. In him did this Luther. He was born in Germany in Eiselben in 1483. That town is about 900 miles due north of Rome. His father was in the mining business, his Father wanted Martin to become a lawyer and to join the family business. And so like a dutiful son, Martin Luther says, okay, fine, I'll study to be a lawyer. And he was at the university and he was 22 years old, about ready to finish up his studies in law. And he was walking along on a summer day in the year 1505, walking through the forest And a tremendous rainstorm hit, and a rainstorm that was filled with lightning. And the lightning started flashing and crashing around him. It it, it completely destroyed a tree right next to Martin Luther, and he became scared to death. And Martin Luther, at that time, he cried out, but he didn't even cry out to God or to Jesus or Holy Spirit, save me. He cried out to St. Anne. St. Anne happens to be the mother of Mary. Mary. And she was the patron saint of the miners in that region. And so he cries out to St. Anne to save him, and he vows to her. He says, if you save me, if you protect me from this storm, if I don't die and I walk out of this alive, I will leave the law law profession, and I will become a monk if he lived. Well, guess what? Martin Luther lived through that. And he becomes an Augustinian monk. He walked over to the university. He left the life as a, a law student, and he joined the monastery, becoming an Augustinian monk. He's brilliant, and Martin Luther did what uh, what ended up changing the world. Martin Luther started to read and to study this book right here, this book, the Bible mostly written in Latin at the time. Later on, they came. Erasmus was a a contemporary of Martin Luther. He came out with a Greek New Testament in the year 1519 but Martin Luther was able to read because he was a scholar he knew latin he knew greek he knew hebrew as well as german and he was able to read the scriptures for himself and he started noticing he started comparing he says what from what i know of the scriptures to what i see in the church you know there there are some problems so uh, Martin Luther is reading the scriptures. He's a student of the Bible. He becomes a teacher of the Bible at the Wittenberg Church there in northern Germany. It's, uh, I don't know, 50, 80 miles south of Berlin, right there in the heart of Saxony. Uh, he becomes uh, the Bible scholar there at the Wittenberg Church. The, the man who was Martin Luther's mentor, he encouraged him to start reading the scriptures. And by the way, that was even unique even to the theologians and the monk of those days, because very few people were actually reading the Bible. They were reading Aristotle. They were reading these classics. They were reading the humanists. They were reading Augustine. They were reading the writings of St. Thomas Aquinas, but they weren't reading the Bible. And so this man encourages Luther, he says, you need, you're going to be the Bible teacher at this Wittenberg monastery and church. You need to be reading and studying the scriptures. And Martin Luther, in his Catholic Catholic upbringing, he was tortured inside. He had a very sensitive conscience. He knew that he was a sinner. He knew he was fallen from grace. He knew that he had to follow the sacraments and to do all these good works if he ever hoped to be accepted by a judgmental, distant, heavenly being called God. In fact, Luther even admits at one time he didn't love God. He hated God because he saw God as this mean old judge who couldn't wait to punish people for their sins when they messed up. Martin Luther would go to confession twice a day. His confessor got tired of seeing him. He says, Martin, come back to me when you have some real sins to confess, right? But he had a sensitive spirit. And so now he's reading the Bible and he's he's tortured inside. He's trying to figure out how to live this Christian life and, and to find some truth and some joy. And he comes across the book of Romans. The book of Romans was the book in the New Testament that set Martin Luther free. And he comes across a passage of scripture in Romans chapter 17, it changed the entire direction of his life and the life of the church uh, that that we can celebrate here now 500 years later. It says this, for in the gospel, the gospel meaning the life, the ministry, the death, the burial, the resurrection of Jesus, and the meaning of what it, uh, uh, of what it means to follow Jesus. And that's, that's sort of an a explanation of the word gospel. For in the gospel, a righteousness from God is revealed, a righteousness that is by, and here's this key word that, for Martin Luther, it, it, he was probably expecting it to be good works, He was expecting it to be keeping the sacraments. He was expecting it to mean do good and quit doing evil. It's all on you. It's not on God. It's on your own religious performance. But it says the righteousness from God is revealed a righteousness that is by faith from first to last. As it is written, the righteous will live by faith. And that is a new way to be made right with God, not by good works, but by putting his simple faith and trust in Christ and Christ alone, Martin Luther uh, was changed and transformed. He wrote, Here I felt that I was altogether born again, and I've entered paradise itself through open gates. And so now Luther feels wonderfully, wonderfully liberated, free from all the confession and prayers and penance that he had to do every day as a good Catholic in the church. Now, in 1517, while Martin Luther is experiencing all this freedom and grace and being saved by faith and having the joy and freedom to walk in Christ, the same year, the Roman Catholic Church is sending a Dominican friar up to Germany loaded with these scrolls that were called papal indulgences, indulgences that were signed and sealed by the Pope Leo himself. And what the idea of these indulgences were was the indulgence basically said, look, we all know that in our Catholic faith, we live this life here on earth. We try to live as good as we can, but we all fall short. We're all sinners. We need to be saved by God. We're never going to be ready for a holy heaven at the state in which we die on earth. So the Catholic church developed this doctrine called purgatory, this place where you went after you died to pay for and to be cleansed and purified from all your sins so that eventually you would be righteous enough and ready to enter into heaven. The papal indulgences, what made them so unique was they said, look, if you pay money to buy one of these papal indulgences, signed by the Pope, so it's certified, You can think of a relative, a mother, a father, a grandparent, an aunt, an uncle, maybe a child who has died prematurely. And if you buy one of these papal indulgences, that person who is suffering in purgatory, you know, paying for their sins, waiting to go to heaven, that person in purgatory can immediately be sprung into heaven. In fact, John Tetzel was the Uh, the Dominican friar who was preaching this, and he was really good at what he did. He was a great preacher. And, uh, you know, pardon me for the sound effect, but he said, he basically had this phrase. He said, when a coin in the coffer tings, a soul from purgatory springs. Yeah? And Martin Luther saw this, and he looked at it, and he said, no, no way. That's it, that's the last straw. I, I am not gonna put up with this anymore. And so Martin Luther in Latin, and the reason I I wanted to stress this was Martin Luther knew German as good as any good German, but Martin Luther decided to write his protest, to write his 95 theses on the Wittenberg door, protesting the sale and the abuse of these indulgences by the church. He wrote them in Latin, and he wrote them in Latin because he intended it to be a debate that would start among the clergy and among the theologians, not so they could discard the Catholic Church, but just so they could fix some of these errors that were in the Catholic Church. So he posts these theses on the Catholic Church in Wittenberg, hoping the theologians would start to have a discussion and a debate about this. And the problem was he didn't really know the powers that be in the Catholic Church because for years and years and years, even a hundred years earlier, there was a famous Christian named John Huss or John Hus that was living uh, in Europe in the 1400s. He came up with some very similar ideas as Martin Luther. John Huss was tried and and found guilty of heresy, and he was burned at the stake a hundred years ago. So Martin Luther was not intending to become another John Huss. He just wanted to start a debate among the theologians to say, hey, these are errors. These, we have, we have uh, des viala. We have, we have steered away from the right path of God in this church. We need to right our wrong. We need to get back on the right path and become a better church that God wants us to be. As he's reading the scriptures, as he's seeing all this truth from God's word, it's coming to line and, and he sees himself and he says, I've got to be a reformer. I need to help fix what is wrong in the church. So uh, when Luther posted this, he wasn't looking to make history. He wants to have a debate. Uh, But instead of what Martin Luther was hoping to have as a reaction, what Martin Luther was hoping to see was, hey, Martin, thank you for bringing this to our attention. Uh, Yeah, we need to fix this. Instead, what Brother Martin is told by the church and the authorities is, Martin, shut up, recant Keep silent and go back and do your business as a good Catholic monk in the church. He is told, we do not want to hear it. And for over three years, the Catholic church and the leaders tried to silence Martin Luther and get him to recant. He was, uh, and during this time, Martin kept reading the Bible. And not only did he see some problems with indulgences, Martin Luther started to see some other things. First of all, it says that the righteous will live by faith. It wasn't about keeping all these sacraments, and he says. And by the way, how many sacraments are in the church? Seven. Well, I'm reading the Bible, and I only see two. I see two sacraments: baptism and holy communion. And he and and you already heard what Luke said about communion. When when in the church, uh, in the Eucharist, in the Catholic Mass, the bo- the bread and the wine actually ding 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 when the bell is rung and the pra- and the priest is praying. Uh, the uh, Catholic Church believes uh, that, the bo- that the body and blood of Christ is what is transformed from the bread and the wine, so where it is now actually the body and blood of Christ, as if Jesus was being sacrificed all over again. And Luther was reading the Bible and he was saying no, the book of Hebrews is very clear. Jesus did a once, For all, sacrifice for our sins to completely cleanse us from sin. And Jesus' sacrifice once for all, that's what makes us right with God, not our own religious performance. So Luther is noticing all these things. He's noticing the idea of, you know what, as I read the Bible in the New Testament, I notice this concept of the priesthood of all believers, that there is no big difference between clergy and laity. Uh, you don't have to be a priest to be up here to read the Scripture. You don't have to be a priest or a monk to be able to lead communion. You don't have to be a male to lead worship. You don't have to be a male to preach from the pulpit. He, well, he might have not gone that far, but that's, that's how far we've gone in, in the 500 years. So in other words, he noticed this clergy laity Uh, difference the priesthood of all believers he said confession he says I see confession as if we confess our sins he is faithful God is faithful and just to forgive us of our sins it doesn't have to be in front of a priest we don't have to be absolved in order for God to forgive us it says confess your sins one to another and pray for one another that you might be healed so he's reading the Bible and he says what the Bible is teaching is different from the practices of the church and Martin Luther developed this idea which I think is awesome The idea is that if any idea, if any creed, if any church council, if any pope says something that is different from the clear teachings of God's revealed word to us, guess which of the two has the greater authority? The Bible. That's something that we celebrate today, and it's something that's always going to be in the leadership of this church. We hold up the clear teachings of Scripture, and if there's any... Uh, controversy, if there's any opinion, any question about how, what our rule is for faith and practice in the Christian life, this is our Supreme Court. This is our judge, uh, our highest judge, the Bible, the Word of God. Luther noticed that. And so during these three years, he, he's, he's writing on all, all these things. And finally, what Luther concludes, and this is really sad, is, you know what? I've tried to fix the church. We're not able to fix the church. Uh, All they do is tell me to shut up and recant or I'm going to be killed. Martin Luther was a man on the run. And finally, in the year 1521, the Holy Roman Emperor, a new kid on the block because he'd just become Holy Roman Emperor, his name is Charles V, he's 21 years old, he convenes this diet or this imperial gathering in a city in Germany called Worms. We call it Worms. Uh, What I don't like is when you say, hey, Luther uh, had his great moment in history at the Diet of Worms. It sounds like a a strange, good way to lose weight, I would think, Um, Diet of Worms in 1521. But it's an imperial gathering and the city is Worms. And Martin Luther is basically asked two questions from the Catholic leadership. He said they, they laid out a big table in front of him and By this time, Martin Luther had a number of writings. It wasn't just the 95 Thesis on the Wittenberg door. He had written at least three books and a number of treatises on all kinds of things, including one that was really damning to the Catholic Church. It was called the Babylonian Captivity of the Church. And they laid out all these books in front of Luther and they asked him basically two questions. Martin Luther, are these your writings? Did you write all of this? And the question number two, is there any of these writings of which of which you wish to recant, of which you you would say, I'm sorry I wrote those, I was wrong, I'm sorry, please don't kill me, right? That would be what they were asking him. And rather than tell you exactly what Luther said, I wanna show you, because through the magic of video, and no, they didn't film this 500 years ago, but they did a reenactment, and it was really good from a movie in 1952. Let's find out what Luther says to those two questions.
1: Will you tell us now, do you persist in what you have written here, or are you prepared to retract these writings and the beliefs they contain? I ask pardon if I lack the manners that befit this court. I was not brought up in King's palaces, but in the seclusion of a cloister. I am asked to retract these writings, but they are of different kinds. In some, I discuss faith and good works. If I were to retract these, I should be denying accepted Christian truths. In others, I attack popery and assail men who have afflicted the Christian world and ruined the bodies and souls of other men. If I were to retract those, I should be like a cloak that covers evil. Most serene emperor, illustrious princes, noble lords, I am only a man and not God. But I must defend myself as did Jesus Christ when he said, as I say now, if I have spoken evil, bear witness against me. Martin Luther, you have not yet answered the question. Give us a simple answer. Will you recant or will you not? You asked for a simple answer. Here it is. Unless you can convince me by scripture and not by popes or councils who have often contradicted each other unless i am so convinced that i am wrong i am bound to my beliefs by the texts of the bible my conscience is captive to the word of god to go against conscience is neither right nor safe therefore i cannot and i will not Here I stand, I can do no other, God help me, amen.
0: That was the moment. That was the moment in 1521 that changed the course of church history in Europe and in America and all the places where the Christian faith spread. Martin Luther would not recant. His fear of God was greater than his fear of man. His clinging to the truth of God was so great that even in the fear of death, and believe me, when Martin Luther said those words, he knew in his own heart, he said, you know what? I'm dead man walking. I am dead man walking because the, I know that the Catholic Church and those leaders, they're never gonna accept what I have said. The beauty, and and you might want to ask, well, why wasn't Martin Luther killed? How did he survive? One of the reasons that he survived was the invention of the printing press. Gutenberg invented the printing press some 50, 60 years earlier, and Martin Luther started writing these things, and the things that Martin Luther wrote started spreading. And he wrote them in German so that all the people could read them. You notice how he changed his tactics. He started off in Latin with the 95 Thesis, but now he's going to say, I need to appeal to all the people. I want everybody to be able to read what I'm saying and understand it and see the truth the way that I've been discovering the truth based on the primacy of Scripture and not canon law or not what the Pope says. So Martin Luther is writing all these writings, and these writings have spread all over Germany, all over the Netherlands and Holland and France and Switzerland and other places all the way to England. And so Martin Luther has quite a following now. And it's not just kill Luther and and you'll put an end to it. Now the church had to deal with kill Martin Luther and there's all these Lutherans There's all these followers of the teachings of Luther in these these cities. And one of them, the, the, the region where Martin Luther was, was governed by this man named Frederick of Saxony. Frederick the Wise, he was called. He protected Martin Luther on the way out of leaving the Diet of Worms in 1521. Rather than being accosted, arrested, tried, convicted, and burned at the stake by the Church of Rome, Frederick had some people kidnapped, quote, Martin Luther, and whisked him away to a secret castle in Wartburg, where Martin Luther spent the next eight months in hiding. He grew a beard. They called him Junker George (laughs) instead. Uh, He pretended to be a knight there in in the castle. But during that time, Martin Luther did something that is absolutely amazing. In 11 weeks, Martin Luther took the Greek New Testament that Erasmus had, had published and Martin Luther had that with him. Martin Luther took the Greek New Testament and translated it into German. for And not just any German, not the high German of the theologians, translated into everyday German. Martin Luther said, I wrote in German the Bible so as if a mother were explaining the scriptures to her children. So, so God puts his cookies on the bottom shelf so that everybody can, can get to them. And so what we have today, you know, Uh, Maybe almost a century after Martin Luther translated the Bible into German, they developed the King James Version of the Bible, and that's what spread the Bible and the teachings of God in the English language to all the English-speaking peoples of the world. The German New Testament was magnificent. It was a terrific translation. It's still being used by a lot of churches 500 years later in churches in Germany that speak German. So it was was an amazing accomplishment, lifting up the primacy of Scripture and then being able to put the Word of God in the everyday language of God's people so they could read it and study it and see for themselves that the righteous will live by faith and not by works alone. They're saved by the grace of God and not by works. So time's running out. I've got, I've got to uh, uh, fast forward a few things. The church sent a papal bull out. They excommunicated Martin Luther. He took the papal bull or the report saying you're excommunicated, and he burned it publicly. I mean, he got really feisty in, in those days. And he started Uh, He started attacking the church. He started uh, saying that all these practices, the confession, the seven sacraments, uh, he he said, for example, why do the monks and the nuns, why do they have to be celibate? Because when I read in the scriptures about churches and leaders, uh, certainly uh, most of the apostles were married. Uh, maybe not the Apostle Paul, but most of their other church leaders were married. Why can't the church leaders get married? Why, and, and so he started that idea. He says, Nuns and monks ought to be free to marry. It's very interesting because he started this campaign to free people who were who locked away in monasteries, free them in order to practice the Christian faith. In fact, one, at one point, Martin Luther rescued 11 nuns out of a certain monastery. One of those 11 nuns became his wife, became uh, Catherine von Bora. Now, she was a feisty woman herself, and it probably, God needed to have a feisty woman like that to be able to be in the same room over time with a man like Martin Luther. Uh, It says that uh, they escaped, these nuns escaped like Catherine von Bora because God was calling them to marry and have children. She uh, actually made a a semi-indirect marriage proposal to Martin Luther. She basically said, look, there's only maybe two men on this planet that I'd even consider marrying, and Martin Luther's one of them, you know? And, and so he, uh, he kept saying, I'll never marry. You know, I'm not against marriage. Marriage is great for most people, but I can't get married because I'm a dead man walking and I know at any time I'm going to get arrested, I'm going to get tried, soldiers are going to come for me and I'm going to die a martyr's death. He believed that most of his life. So finally, Catherine von Boer cha- challenges Martin Luther, and she says something to Luther like this. She says, how is it fair for you to tell me as a nun that I should marry and have children when you, a priest and a monk, you refuse to marry and have no children? And he scratched his head. He couldn't come up with a good counterargument. And a few months later, they were married in 1525, and Martin and Catherine had six children. So if you want to sum up Luther's theology, uh, basically it is this, that God has come among us. He's incarnated himself among us in Jesus Christ in order to redeem humanity, in order to redeem us in all of our fallenness and our filth and our sexuality and our work, the God, Remember, when God first came into the world, He didn't come in a high and mighty palace. God first became human and physical in Jesus, and He came to a filthy stable in Bethlehem. God knows what it's like to be in our physical world, and He didn't come to eradicate our physical world. He came to redeem it. So he translates the Bible into German in in the year 1522, and 12 years later, Luther and a team of theologians like Philip Melanchthon, they translated the Bible, the entire Bible, the Old Testament, into German by the year 1534. Luther effectively dragged us uh, or dragged Europe from the world of medieval Christianity into the modern era. And he did that by giving the common person the opportunity to read the Holy Scriptures in his or her own native languages. Great missionaries and mission organizations like Wycliffe Bible Translators, they're continuing Martin Luther's dream to put God's Word into the language of all the ethnic groups to the ends of the earth. So that is one of the great legacies of Martin Luther. Now, I I need to say something because Martin Luther certainly wasn't a perfect man, Martin Luther, when that I said he had a sanctified, stubborn streak, well, there's a dark side to that because that stubborn streak, he was fighting for the life of the church. He was fighting for the, the, the goodness and the survival and the and the advancement of the Christian faith. And he was a fighter. And anybody who crossed him, he didn't see as, oh, well, you know, you have your opinion, I have my opinion. You know, we'll just let bygones be bygones. No, anybody who crossed Martin Luther became an enemy. And they were enemies even within their own Christian faith. I mean, this guy named Zwingli, for example, he was a Swiss theologian. Zwingli had a different view of the sacrament of communion than did Martin Luther. Zwingli just said, you know what? It's just bread and wine. It's a remembrance only. It has nothing to do. The real presence of Christ isn't necessarily here or there. Martin Luther slammed the guy, would never have peace with the guy, would not shake the right hand of fellowship with Zwingli just because of that. That's how stubborn he got. You probably have heard that the Nazis in Germany in the 1930s, they took the writings of Martin Luther and what he said against the Jews. I need to say something about that because there is a nasty... Uh, there was a nasty portion in Martin Luther's life. It's near the end of his life. It's in 1543. He died three years later. He was in terrible health. He was in chronic pain, all kinds of physical problems. Martin Luther wrote some terrible things about the Jews being the rejectors of Christ, being the ones that have always inhibited the church. But I want to say something about that because 20 years before he wrote this nasty treatise against the Jews, Martin Luther recognized that the way that the Christians had treated the Jewish people. He said this 20 years earlier. Why would Jews ever even consider converting to the Christian faith given the cruelty and enmity we wreak upon them? In our behavior, we resemble less Christians than beasts. He recognized how how the Christians have abused the Jewish people over the years. And so, unfortunately... Uh, The Nazis took all of the 110 books, 99.4% of them, you know, whatever that ivory soap is, uh, the 99.4% of whatever Luther wrote was true and good, and they took a very small percentage and they ran with that of of what he said against the Jewish people. So that is an unfortunate reality. Uh, But it just reminds us that Martin Luther was a human being, just like the rest of us. He had his great points and he also had his faults. Uh, We are not to worship Martin Luther. We are to worship our Savior, Jesus Christ. We can admire Martin Luther, but we are not to venerate him. This man, the good part about him that you have to remember, he feared God in the sense he feared God so much that he had no fear of man. Basically, he says, fear God and you'll have nothing else to fear. Fear. And he wanted to please God. He says, I know that God will judge me. I don't care what you think or what the Pope thinks or anyone else thinks except God. I live to please God alone and God himself will be my judge. Martin Luther found faith and freedom in the Bible. Now, Martin Luther, how did he change the church service? I'm going to close with this. What is different about the way we do church now to the way it was 500 years ago? First of all, he brought in congregational singing. I think many of you, if you look in the pew racks in front of you, besides the Black Bible, you will see this book of congregational hymns. That is something Luther brought in. He brought in a famous song, A Mighty Fortress is Our God, A Bulwark Never Failing. That was one of Luther's hymns. Christmas time, we sing one of these great Christmas songs, Away in a Manger, No Crib for a Bed. That was written by Martin Luther. Right? So he brought in congregational singing. Martin Luther made the sermon central to the church service. And you said, Jim, you've taken that and you've run away with it. Right? <laughs> I get that. You made the sermon central to the, ser- to the church service. You changed, Martin Luther changed communion from being a, a, a sacrifice that happened every time they celebrated mass to being a memorial where the real presence of Christ was with the elements, but they didn't change into the body and blood of Christ. Uh, Martin Luther introduced the idea of the priesthood of all believers. Martin Luther changed the marriage rules and 33 years of marriage. I say thank you, Martin Luther, that religious leaders can marry and have families and have kids and be able to model the Christian life rather than saying, "Uh, you married people, you need to learn how to get along, even though I'm single and I've never tried to do it myself. Okay, so, uh, and then the other thing, putting God's word in the language of the people, giving God's word in copies so that you, as a person, as a follower of Christ, you would be able to read the scriptures for yourself and be like the Bereans where they checked and they said they studied the scriptures daily to see if what the Apostle Paul was teaching was correct. Martin Luther introduced all those things. He changed the world forever. He changed church forever, and he was the first, one of the first men that says, look, if What is taught by God in His Word, if it contradicts something that the state is doing, that government is doing, if government becomes tyrannical, then we have the right in our conscience to protest. We have the right to say, you can't make me do the wrong things. So many, many things that Martin Luther brought in. I am so grateful for this man. Going back to the scripture that he brought us, it says, in the gospel, a righteousness from God is revealed. A righteousness that is by faith from first to last. It's not by good works. It's not by keeping all the sacraments. It's not by jumping on that religious treadmill. What all the other religions teach, do these things. Don't do these wrong things. If you perform them all to a certain level or degree, then God will accept you and you will be good in his sight. And Martin Luther says, no, that's not what the gospel teaches at all. It teaches that we've all sinned and fall short of the glory of God, that the wages of sin is death, but that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. And the free gift of God, a grace gift that we can't earn, but we can accept by faith, that we could be saved and put in a right relationship with God if we would just put our faith in in his son, Jesus Christ. If we put our faith in Jesus, we will have the righteousness of God that we've been searching for all our lives. We have Martin Luther to thank for that. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you for the life of this Christian hero, Martin Luther. We thank you that you made him so strong-willed, so determined, uh, what we might even call he had a sanctified, stubborn streak. Thank you that you made him that way so that he could stand up to the world powers that were trying to not just silence him and shut him down. They were trying to kill him and how brave and courageous he must have been to be able to stand up to that. Lord, help us to have that kind of reverent fear of you so we could say, you know, I fear God, therefore I don't have anything else to fear. God, help us to imitate his faith. Help us to remember that we are saved by our our faith and not by our good works. And if there's anyone here that that has been with us this hour, that has participated with us, and you don't have the assurance that you're in a right relationship with God, I, I urge you to do what Martin Luther did, to read the Gospel, read the Book of Romans, and see that you can be made right with God Not by your good works, but by simply putting your trust and your faith in his son, Jesus Christ, who gave himself for you to save us from our sins. Put your faith in Jesus and he will adopt you into his family. Lord, thank you for this time that we've had together today. And we pray, Father, that we'll go out and imitate the freedom and the righteousness that that we can call you our good, good father because of what you have done for us in Christ, because your word says it and we can understand it, because we have the Bible in our own language, in a copy we can read for ourselves. Thank you for that great heritage that we have from this man, Martin Luther. And we pray all these things in Jesus' name, amen.